Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and this is the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage at Lakewood exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. All right, here we are. We're in season two, and this is episode 12. And let's just recap for a minute where we've been. So we've covered the first three keys so far. So key one is to align your thinking about sex with God's truth. And that was episodes one through four. And key two is to deal with sexual sin, past or present. And that's episodes five through eight. And then we just finished up key three, which is to regard each other's needs as more important than your own. And that was episodes nine through 11. And so today we're going to kick off key four, which is to fiercely protect emotional intimacy with and for one another. So we're gonna we're gonna start there today. Scott and Dawn, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. We hadn't recorded in a little bit. We haven't. Yeah. So this will be this will be good to be back together again. The three amigos. <laughs> Is that who we are? That's who we are. That's who I've been. Three amigos or three stooges? Which one? No, I like amigos. I like amigos, I like amigos but amigo. That's dudes, though, right? That's friend. Oh, amigo. What is amigo? There is amigo and amiga. Amigo is boy and amiga is girl. And we're two out of three girls, so amigas. Yeah. See, I don't think you can mm-hmm. say amigos. Well, I'm going to say the three amigos. <laughs> that was Steve Martin and Martin Short and Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase was. <laughs> <laughs> Emily doesn't even remember that. I know. I don't know who Chevy Chase is. Okay. Who's Steve, who Steve Martin? I do. I know Steve okay. Martin. Yeah. And Martin Short. Yeah. Okay, good for you, Emily. Yeah. Right. I'm surprised she knew all, all that. Culturally I know, because typically things. I don't know things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you did well with that one. Thank you. Okay. All right. We're in, as M said, we're in season two, and this whole season really has been around our, our study of six keys to better sex and marriage. And as she's already said, we've gone through the first three keys in the first 11 episodes, and today we're picking up with key number four, which is to fiercely protect emotional intimacy with and for one another. And we were talking before we started recording, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't, couples don't see or really even realize it's, it's really, I think, a, a sense of they don't know what they don't know when we're doing premarital with couples, this idea of of fiercely protecting intimacy. Most couples, this is something that's totally off of their radar. And so when Dawn and I start talking with couples, usually in the counseling session, either in the premarital and or the marital, this we often can kind of get some blank stares. But I'm going to kind of set the for you why this is important. Uh, since the early years of our marriage, I tended not to promise Dawn that I would not have an affair. Really what we're going to be talking about in this episode and possibly probably the next episode as well is in essence, how to affair proof your marriage. Just think of it that way. We, we talk it talk in the sense of fiercely protecting emotional intimacy and we do that with the intent of affair proofing our marriage and so since the early years of our marriage i would not promise dawn i would not have an affair now for many of you you're probably like do what why would you not but here's why because in my mind 
that could potentially give Dawn a false sense of hope that I would never let her down through relational betrayal. And I didn't want her to put her hope in me. I wanted her hope to be in Jesus Christ. Colossians one twenty seven that says that Christ is our hope and glory. And I knew I knew me well enough that I didn't want her to put her hope in me. But as you could imagine, this created in the early years at least a great deal of insecurity for Dawn. But with the passage of time since we've been married 80, 1987, we're coming up on thirty five years of can you believe we're coming up on 35 years of marriage? That's great. We're always, you know, we're as shocked as anyone. <laughs> I'm looking at you right now. I'm like, can you believe it? Every time I, I say that. I'll never be 35 years old. I can't believe I've actually done something for 35, for 35 years. years. You realize we've been together longer than we've been apart. Is that not weird? That is weird. How old were you when you got married? Dawn was 21. No. I was 24. We were. Young, what crazy, stupid in love? Crazy, stupid love. Is that what uh, crazy, stupid love? Oh, okay. I thought it was. But we were crazy. (laughs) 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 But we digress. Man. So I was saying, with the passage of time, we married in '87. But what I did give Dawn um, since then, over the past 34 years is the assurance that I would do everything in my power to prevent being in a compromising situation with someone of the opposite sex. Years ago, probably in the late uh, 90s, it was actually while we were in seminary, um, in, in probably around 97, 98, I read a book by Jerry Jenkins. Many of you might recognize his name. If you were around in the church back in the 90s, you probably read uh, books by he and Tim LaHaye called the Left Behind series. Well, Jerry Jenkins was a prolific writer back in those days, and he wrote a book about marriage, and it was simply titled Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It. And the principles that Jerry outlined in that book really forever shaped my view of how I loved on and how I wanted to seek to protect our marriage. If you or Dawn and I are in our 50s now, so we can remember back. Some of you listening may not be able to remember this far back, but I, I remember reading about it. But at the height of his evangelistic ministry, when uh, Billy Graham began, began to become nationally popular in the late 40s, he and his team were in Modesto, California, and while in Modesto doing an evangelistic crusade, they partnered up in their hotel and famously scripted what became known as the Modesto Manifesto. And in essence, what that manifesto was, was a manifesto that Graham and uh, Cliff, Barrow. Cliff Barrow and others on George, George Beverly Shea, others on his team at that time. It was their strategy to keep themselves and their ministry above reproach financially and sexually. And this actually came to uh, head a few years ago. Many of you, if you track in the news, you remember Mike Pence kind of took some fire several years ago during the Trump administration because he practiced himself very similar um, practices that Graham outlined in the Modesto Manifesto. And 
it was castigated by many because they thought it was somewhat puritanical and a little naive on his part. But you're going to hear from us and why we think it's important that we have these these marriage manifestos, if you will. Paul says in Philippians 2.15, he teaches you and me to prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom we appear as lights in the world. And so really this whole episode is to say, hey, we love Jesus enough, we love our marriages enough that we want to be blameless and innocent. We want to be above reproach because we live in a crooked and perverse world that can misconstrue even the most innocent of motivations. And so that's really what this episode is about, is is just guarding your heart and mind, guarding your marriage. So if we're to be above reproach and appear as lights in the world, we believe we must each have our own marriage manifesto that we function from to ensure the fidelity of our covenant commitments. And so this key, key four, deals with the necessity of fiercely protecting your marriage. And in this key, what you're going to hear in just a moment are eight hedges of protection that Dawn and I have put around our own marriage. We're going to share what are our hedges of protection. And here's what we're going to encourage you guys as you listen. I anticipate some of you are going to be listening and think, that's absurd. I don't know why that would be necessary, but you'll understand as we get further along. So, honey, before we jump in, why don't you just kind of unpack this whole idea of why we put, we do this in life in general, whether you call it hedges or guardrails, whatever. Yeah. You know, if you think about, you know, if we just took a minute to say and talk about, let's just talk about the three of us, things that, you know, things that you, things that, what are the things that you put protections around and what are those protections? So, like, what are the things you put protections around? They're going to be really the most the most valuable things to you. But what kind of protections are in place? Well, I'm thinking right now in our backyard, we have a fenced-in backyard. So when our yeah. grandsons are there, it's somewhat fenced except for the areas where the trees have fallen so, and, and knocked it down. But the boys don't see that. Somewhat fenced. There's a lesson in that. Yeah. So we don't. We're not. We're not. <laughs> We're not advocating uh, somewhat fenced in marriage. We're just, yeah. that was probably not. Yeah, the right that's, example. that's not. Well, Emily, what have you got? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about our kids. I mean, they aren't old enough to operate technology on their own yet or even, or the TV even. But I, I know that there are protections you can put on TVs and computers to keep kids, you know, in a safe mm-hmm. spot. But I mean, we definitely protect our kids in that way. What, mm-hmm. you know, keep a guard on what they're watching. Yeah. There's a lot of. A lot of stuff out there. Yes, that's right. We we put security uh, systems in our homes, you know, to protect the to protect our home from robbery. Our banking account has security. I mean, when I log on, it now has gotten which I appreciate. When I log on on my laptop on our bank, 
it will say, we want to make sure this is you. We're yeah. going to send you a text and then put in this code. So it's security. And yeah. I'm not going to fault my bank for having a high bar of security. Yeah, that's right. You know, we have insurance policies mm-hmm. on our homes, on our bodies, on our you know, on our cars. Years ago, one of the most romantic gifts you asked me to give you for Christmas was a fireproof safe <laughs> for for all of our important documents. That's right, and I did ask for it. You did ask so for it. So, it yeah, hey, dudes, if you're listening. Be sure it's something like that. That's right. Don't for. don't say Scott said for Christmas I was to get you a fireproof safe. If she doesn't ask for it, don't, don't give it as a Christmas yes, gift. You might want to get it just as something you want. <laughs> if she asks for it. Should she just ask for it? It's all Maybe. right. Yeah. Well, in Dawn's case, your love language, it, you it's, feel loved by receiving gifts. So yes. because you asked for and it, provided, <laughs> there you, may be other women out, out there <laughs> whose love languages. It's, a, yeah. it's true. I mean, I, it meant something to me because it, it contained really the important things in our life. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if, you know, if something happened to you, I would, I needed a place to go. I needed a first step. So that was really it. You know, a gift for me, it was just to protect me. We put protections on, and it's the first things we think about Mm -hmm. when we get something of value. How do we protect it? Mm -hmm. Well, the same is true here when it comes to emotional intimacy, because in a marriage relationship, and especially in the sexual relationship, emotional intimacy, which is really a sense of Safety and closeness. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's a sense of being safe with Scott and feeling very close to him. And how important it is to build in some protections around that because of how valuable it really and truly is. It's really, you know, it's really one of the sort of um, life forces to our marriage. It's what's, mm-hmm. what's life-giving to us is the feeling that, we are safe with each other and that we, we are very close emotionally to each other. And it makes our sex life a whole lot richer when we have those two very important pieces of our intimacy of our, of that part of our life. So building these guardrails around it, um, is so important. And what Scott said earlier was we have a hard, we have a hard time when couples, when we start talking about putting these in because they're going to feel in your mind, they're going to feel like, you know, why do I have to do that? Um, this feels restricting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and we, we understand that we, it's almost sad to them that they feel like they have to do it because they love and they trust their spouse. But here's the thing is that we know that those guardrails are to protect the love and trust mm-hmm. that they actually do have right now for their spouse. We understand that sentiment. It makes really a lot of sense to us. But here's the reality. This because Scott and I have worked with a lot of couples who have experienced um, infidelity mm-hmm. or just em- emotional affairs where they have given their affections, their affections have crept out into to somebody else, is that after that's revealed, then there will be a demand for these boundaries. That's right. In order for the marriage to survive, the boundaries have to be put in place mm-hmm. then. And they're a lot more difficult to put into place then than they are actually to just to work on incorporating them, to have the discussions regularly about our guardrails, 
how we're protecting the emotional intimacy. Because if you don't have them, our hearts can be drawn away from us. Yeah, They can be drawn away, especially when we experience the challenges that come along with marriage. You know, it's not like we always like each other. But Do you not always like me? I um, most of the time. <laughs> I would say most of the time I do, but... But there, but I sh- there are definitely times where you, I don't like you, and there are definitely times where you don't like me. That's, and that's true. You know what? That's okay because I know that we love each other deeply. Yeah. yeah. Like and dislike, they come and go. Yeah. But love this this love that we're talking about that deserves the protections mm. um, uh, will will stay stay put and continue to grow and deepen if we will take those radical steps to actually protect it. Yeah. So we we want you to understand that these boundaries, we, w- we don't want you to see them as restrictive. We want you to see them as protection. Yeah. Okay? So let's go ahead and jump in. We'll get as many as we can in this episode. There's eight hedges of protection that we, we call them, and we just use that uh, verbiage that Jerry um, Jenkins used back in the nineties, eight hedges of protection to place around your marriage. Now I will say parenthetically, obviously Dawn and I are in vocational ministry. So these are some hedges. When we started reflecting years ago, when we first put this together, these are hedges that we did largely in the vocational sense. I, I am confident there's going to be some that will push back on this just you will think that's not practical, Scott, for what I do for a living. I, I get that. But as best as you can, what we would challenge and encourage is you, as best as you can, adhere to these protections or something very similar to it. So here's the first one. Be cautious of riding in a car alone with someone of the opposite sex. Be cautious of riding in the car alone with someone of the opposite sex. Now, you may think that's 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 just kind of a little weird, Scott. Well, let me explain. Though it may be purely innocent, you never know who's in the car beside you. And what we've learned in in ministry is that gossip travels faster than good news. And we believe it's better safe than to be sorry. Think about it with me. You've probably passed someone on the road before and thought to yourself, well, that was so-and-so, but who was that in the car with them? That was not so-and-so's wife, or that was not so-and-so's husband. Who was that? And just that thought itself caused you to doubt and to ponder and to wonder. And so we simply just say, why put yourself in a situation where others will ask that question about you? Now, when we've taught this before, we have pushback on this. Of, I remember in the last setting that we taught it, a person in the class thought, well, why should I care, Scott, what someone else thinks about me? How would we address that? How would we answer that question? Well, I, I, again, I, it's not that I, you know, there are certain things that I don't really, you know, care what, what people think about me, but you know, but in, in some regards, I, I do, I, I do have a reputation to, um, so, you know, you and I have a reputation for sure. So we have to be super careful, but also, you know, I, I have made some decisions about my life that I want to guard and to protect. And so risk 
this is not one something that I really want to yeah. risk of somebody ask questioning, even questioning. Yeah. You know, I there went dawn and who is the who in the world is that man? You mm-hmm. know, unless it's my brother, I don't, you know, I don't want it. I don't, you know, I want to have a. Yeah. I don't want to. Ha- I want to avoid that yeah. question. But I will also say in regard to this, you know, being in a car alone with someone of the opposite sex. And even the few next few that we're going to talk to, you know, it's it's a private meeting. It's a private meeting. And, you know, anything really can be shared um, and talked about in that context. And no one's ever going to know what that context yeah. is and or what the what has been shared is. It's also a place where we can I could feel like I could share something with somebody and not be heard. You know, it's kind of a, a safe space for evil. <laughs> to yeah. take to to be birthed if if I'm not careful with who that is and what my heart is saying about that person, you know, or feeling about that person. So we just try to stay away from that environment. I just want to keep calling your attention back to Philippians two fifteen. We read it earlier, but Paul says there to prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation whom, among whom we appear as lights in the world. And really what we're getting at in this episode is just protecting our witness for Jesus Christ. That's a large part of it. Number two, be discerning about eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. Be discerning about eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. Similar to being in a car alone, you never know who you will run into in a restaurant. All it takes to soil your reputation or the reputation of Christ or someone else is for a rumor to start. We were teaching this recently, and a buddy of mine even brought this up. He was at a local establishment going in to pick up uh, his lunch for himself. And in so doing, as he was walking in, He was simply holding the door for another lady that was coming in behind him. But because they were dressed similar, both looked like they had uh, workout material on, workout clothes on, somebody that rode by assumed he was with this person and made a comment to him later in the day, hey, I saw you going in, and who was that person you you were with? And he said, I wasn't with anyone. But the assumption was made by that person that saw him because he was opening the door for this lady that he must be with that lady. And that's really what we're getting at is it doesn't have to be even reality. We're just trying to protect ourselves from anything. What we know, too, about meals, we one of the things that we find important here in the ministry at Lakewood, in the discipleship ministry especially, is we value mealing together because mealing when you're sitting at a table with other people, meals it themselves tend to lit, lend themselves to heightened closeness and intimacy. It's just the nature of it. it. You read the Gospels, and when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus reclining at the table, something intimate, something very special, very spiritual often happens. And so we believe there's there's very powerful things that can happen in a meal. But similar to that, very... <laughs> 
unhealthy things can happen. It's not uncommon for conversation to become more intimate over a meal than in most any other situation. And what Dawn and I have seen in all of our years of working with couples, we have often found that it seems that meals with someone of the opposite sex became the springboard for an adulterous relationship. Now, you may say, Scott, that's the furthest thing from my mind. And I would say, I agree. That's probably true for you. But what we tend to find, usually Dawn and I will deal with anywhere from five to ten adultery issues a year. And more often than not, the person will say to us who committed the betrayal is, I had no intentions of this ever coming about. And that's what I'm saying. What we're addressing here is, guys, protect your intent. I've I've yet to meet the male or the female that said, as soon as I saw that person, I had the intent of having an affair with them. That just doesn't tend to happen. So be discerning. Be discerning, number two, about eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. Number three. Never meet alone with someone of the opposite sex. And I think this one is becoming more and more apparent, especially in the culture that we're in, even outside of the church, with the proliferation of the Me Too movement. I think more and more people are becoming aware, hey, I've got to be cautious about the situations that I put myself in, that this is almost becoming more and more common sense. In situations when you're alone, regardless whether it's in your office or somewhere else in a private setting alone, you and someone of the opposite sex, opposite sex, in those situations and any accusation made against you would come down to your word against theirs. And so we just encourage you, don't put yourself in that type of situation. You also want to alleviate any potential temptation for you or the other party. Now, you may be saying, Scott, this person I'm meeting with of the opposite sex, I have no attraction to at all. And that may be true, but you don't know their heart and you don't know what's going on in their home. Um, and so, though you may have nothing attraction or affection or anything towards them, you don't know what's going on with them. Yeah, and I I, I want to say when you mentioned you know Mike Pence and and I mean he hit the you know the difficulty I think really he came under fire for was and I think this was really came about really when the Me Too movement was um you know really came to the forefront which I'm going to say is not a bad movement. Sure, that's right. Let me just go ahead and say that right now. Women have been the um, victims of abuse um, for far too long. And so the need for that was uh, is important. The heart of that is important. Um, but, you know, the the actual uh, occurrence of false accusations are, go all the way back biblical. When you look at Joseph and Potiphar's wife, you know, I mean, it it is not it, it isn't that that doesn't happen. And so what Mike Pence really came under fire for was, well, does that mean you know, women can't be trusted, that you're not going to meet with any women, that that's dishonoring to women. But, you know, what he was really saying and what we're saying here is that I've got some women in my life that are worthy of protection, too. And so being in 
making some of these decisions weren't did not say we de- we we don't trust all women but it just says i've got some other women in my life that i'm protecting you know from myself or from false accusations if they happen to come about and i'm also protecting of uh, these women who are very capable educated who really uh, are peer equals to someone like a mike pence by putting us all together in a situation where ideas are valued that this is what we're going to be talking about in more of a plural more of a conversation than just a private conversation so you know i while i can see this being a very relevant topic and i know some of you are listening and understanding what scott might be saying as well then women aren't to be trusted that is not true that is not what he is saying okay yeah, because this goes both ways. This is not just a male protecting himself. I'm I'm talking equally as much about a female protecting herself. That's right. Yeah. So let's run down. We're going to wrap this one up. Uh, eight hedges of protection we're encouraging to put around your marriage. The first one is to be cautious of riding in a car alone with someone of the opposite sex. The second one is to be discerning about eating alone with someone of the opposite sex. The third one is to never meet alone with someone of the opposite sex. And then I'm going to conclude with the fourth one, and I'll share a personal story here. The fourth hedge of protection is simply this. When traveling alone, have an accountability system in place. When traveling alone, have an accountability system in place. In the fall of 2012, almost t- 10 years ago now, I flew up to Detroit to lead a small groups conference. Dawn had taken me to the airport in Atlanta that Friday morning and was going to come back and pick me up Saturday night. So I really wasn't going to be gone more than about 36 hours. After I got into Detroit uh, that afternoon, I went to a Starbucks to work on my notes for the next day. And while I was sitting outside a little cafe table there in in downtown Detroit, I noticed out of the corner of my eye a lady that was walking across the parking lot from a nearby hotel. And as she passed, she was probably about 20, 30 yards away from me to the right of me. Um, Our eyes kind of caught one another. And I remember, guys, in that moment just distinctly thinking, If she propositioned me, would I turn her down? And you may think, do what? How could you even think that? Let me just say this, guys, and I'm going to speak to guys here that are listening. We never really can control the thoughts that come into our lives and into our minds, but we can control what we do with those thoughts. That thought, if she propositioned me, would I turn her down? was so indiscriminate, it made no sense to me at the time. But the fact that that thought even ran through my mind, I will say to you, scared scared me senseless. Um, after all, at that time, as is true today, Dawn and I were in a very, and are in a very good place maritally. We were happily married 10 years ago, as we are today, And the thought to me was, how could I even think something like that? 
So what I quickly did, I closed my laptop and I left to go eat dinner. And over dinner, I called Robert Puckett, who's on staff with us here at Lakewood. He's a dear friend of mine, has been my accountability partner for the past 22 years. And Robert literally stayed on the phone with me until I finished dinner and headed back to the hotel. Now, I want you to think with me what I did. And I will just say it was by the grace of God that I did it. But what did I do when I was tempted, when temptation presented itself? Did I stay there and flirt with it? No, I did not. What I did, I did exactly what I knew Paul had instructed his young protege, Timothy, to do. And in 2 Timothy 2.22, this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, when confronted with temptation, I want you to flee from youthful lust. Paul didn't tell Timothy to stand around and flirt with temptation, nor did he tell him to stand there and fight like a man. He told him, flee it. Flee youthful lust. And that's what we're to do. There's no better plan to protect our marriages. Now, I will tell you, over the past 10 years, from that experience in Detroit, I've, I've learned one thing about myself. I am one dumb decision away from stupid. I'm not above doing something really dumb. I gravely need accountable systems to keep me from straying. And my hunch is that you're no different. You too need an accountable system. So if you're a businessman or a businesswoman and you have to travel periodically, maybe you are a flight attendant or a pilot or you're gone on the road, I'm, I want to lovingly challenge you to have a system of accountability. So what I learned from that system, if Dawn can't travel with me, when I go away, I'm going to take somebody else with me. I've asked Robert Puckett. I've asked Stephen Jackson, Jim Lee, different people to f- travel with me if Dawn could not go with me because I wanted to have an accountable system. And I think like these very these first four that we're talking about, are really common practices for business people that are part of their work. You know, they, we understand that. That's why we use the language of be discerning. Mm-hmm. We use the language of be cautious. We use the language of have an accountability plan. So as some of you are listening, y'all are going, well, then I got to quit my job. I can't do some of these things. We don't, we're not saying that, but we, what we are saying is that an accountability system, a plan in place, in, and as you consider all of these things is what we are really encouraging. So that's the first four of eight hedges of protection to place around your marriage. So when we come back in episode 13, we'll conclude with the last four of these hedges. Awesome. Thank you all so much. And stay tuned for another episode of the Forever Marriage Podcast.